This is Xavier Peregrine. We're sponsored by viewers like you, as well as Pacific Thought Views and Warzoi Books. Please welcome yourself to enjoy this fine show and have yourself a good day now. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right, see you later. Greetings, welcome. Of course, uh, I am Zan Mars. It is Monday the 14th, December 2015, here in our fine studio on this holiest of years, 2015, and you are listening to Aviary Paragraph. We have a suitable podcast for you today, and I am sitting next to one of the most, what I'd like to think may be the most vigorous birders I know or would like to know, Martin Salinas. A birder's hello to you, Zan. And a birder's hello right back to you, Martin. Now, we had a... <laughs> Funny thing happened last time we were we were trying to record this this famous show, um, and uh, unfortunately we ran into a few microphone technical difficulties last time. Now you remember this? Oh, I couldn't forget it. It's uh, my pleasure and my privilege to introduce also our third guest on the show today. Or sorry, I mean our first guest. His name is uh, Tim Laqui. Uh, he was with us here last time on the show. It was a very interesting exploration of kind of Tim. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. I gotta tell you that. Yes, uh, second time in Yeah, second, second time's a charm, you know? Our podcast today, like I said, is going to be very appropriate for the subject matter, and that we are both reviewing the Bucephala albiola, and we are talking to... <laughs> I mean, we're, we're talking about the Buffalhead on this episode. See, it's kind of funny there. I almost said I was talking to the Bufflehead, but we all know that here, as members of our birding community, uh, we do discuss the Bufflehead. We like to talk about the bufflehead, or, or you know, um, but we don't like to talk to the buffalo. Sometimes we make calls to the bufflehead, but other t- we don't talk to the birds. Or have you ever talked to the birds? Martin? I've actually found myself a few times while I'm birding solo. Uh, every once in a while, I'm looking at the birds. I'll uh, maybe say, uh, "Oh, uh, come, come a little closer. Come a little closer." Talking to the birds a little bit there. So, do you like you talk to the birds most? times you're out on the field birding yeah when i'm out in the field birding that's the time that i'm i'm talking to the birds if it happens why do you talk to the birds that's a good question zian i'd, I'd say that i'd ha- probably have to do a okay little yeah and so tim why do you do you ever talk to the birds yeah kind of similar to what uh really you guys you guys are you guys are out in the field a lot i i, I reckon from this uh sort of Sort of, uh, what do you call it, diatribe you've both gone on here. Yeah, you know, you it makes them come closer if you ask them to. So, we have a very, very special segment we would like to introduce today. The Birders Weather Segment on Aviary Paragraph. Weatherman, would you send me a rainy day? It suits my mood cause my whole world just turned gray. Every man needs a someone to sit beside. 
and keep you warm when the cold wind blows outside. I remember the time. The sun came out and she went out. I never thought she could. The weatherman. Martin, hit it. All right, this is for all the birders out there that are wondering what the best time is going to be for them to go out and find those birds. So this week, what our forecast is looking like. I'm not sure what our forecast is looking like, i got to tell you, Martin, and I'm really interested to find out. Yes, so what our forecast is looking like this week is if you get out there, I would highly recommend going. And we hope, we got to say that we hope that you do get out there. Uh, it doesn't matter what the weather is. If you get out there, take off early in the morning. This time of year, as the fog lifts, is a fantastic time to go out and spot some of those golden crown and ruby crown kinglets. They might be moving in mixed flocks. Brown creepers could be mixed in, black-capped chickadees. If you're lucky, you might even see some of those rare warblers that haven't quite migrated. I've heard uh, some sightings of here in Thurston County, a common yellow throat staying here all the way into December. You see a lot of starlings out there right now? Wish I could say no, but unfortunately, yes. No. So, um, uh, we did say before that we are doing this uh, here on the Buffalhead. We do enjoy talking about the Buffalhead. We do like uh, speaking about the Buffalhead. The oldest Buffalhead known to exist, I gotta tell you here, was 18 years old. So that is kind of an uproarious age to reach, I'd say. Uh, what are you, what's your opinion on this now that's an 18 year old bufflehead that's kind of a larger bird don't you think now for a bufflehead that's that's pretty old but i do have to kind of chime in here with my two cents we got wisdom the albatross over 60 years old and this bird continues to live so um tim now have you uh seen any of older birds uh, ever in your in your line of work um yeah we got a, a street torn lark on fort lewis that we banded all his bands have fallen off except for one little pink band, so we call him Pinky, and he's been around for at least six or seven seasons. Sorry, you know. I gotta contain myself over here. Yeah, I know a lot, a lot of successful clutches from him. He's a, he's a fit, fit individual. A clutch bird. I definitely hope that uh, Pinky continues to be seen. I hope someday I get a chance to see Pinky. I hope so too. Yeah, so we're gonna get a little bit more into the buffalo a little later in the show. We got a couple of great segments for you here today. We're gonna talk about birds. We're gonna talk about uh, technology. We're gonna we're gonna talk about everything that the birder you know wants to talk about. But first, we gotta intro the show here with what uh, I, I introduced a little bit last show. This is a haiku for you. This is on Heron's haiku. Martin, could you give that to us? Bufflehead takes off, black and white with yellow eye. Swift beauty in flight. Now, I'm actually going to take a little objection to my own haiku. Can I do that, Zan? Yeah, you know, I did last week, so I think, you, I think I'll allow that this time as well. I'm going to go ahead and repeat this second line for our listeners in case they didn't catch it. Hopefully some of the birders out there, I bet you caught this. Second line, once again. Black and white. Sounds like a bufflehead. Mm -hmm. But let's let's pay attention to this last few syllables. With yellow eye. I'm going to go ahead and ask you guys, open your field guides. Look in there. Mm. I'm not seeing any bufflehead with yellow I'm eye. I'm pulling up a bufflehead on the screen right now. Tim, could you tell me what color that eye is? It's black. 
Yeah, it does. So, uh, somebody here obviously wasn't uh, minding their P's or their, or their, their Q's. I'm going to say well. they're a poet, not a birder. Yeah, well, you always got to, that's the one thing you got to look out for is poets versus birders. Who knows? So, I have one uh, other bone kind of to pick with you here on the show, quite frankly, Martin. I got this bone. I got I got to I got to pick it. I hate to be frank, but I truly do have to pick this bone. Do ha- I do have this bone to pick with you. So, earlier in the show, I called the show a podcast. Um so I think we <laughs> we could actually start calling the show what I'd like to uh, call it is the, a, a bird cast. And I, whoa, and whoa. I whoa, 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 come on. Just give me a second here. All right. <laughs> Don't walk all over me, okay? This is this is come on. Alright, I think we should actually start calling the show, uh, calling it a, a birdcast, and I know, I know you brought this up with me earlier, so I was wondering how you felt about that. Yeah, you know, the reason I brought this up with you earlier is because a birdcast is already something in existence very different from our show. A birdcast is something that birders actually do already. They use the tools of meteorologists to actually see the nocturnally migrating birds, be it waterfowl in the fall and winter, or the neotropical songbirds of the spring and summer. Now, meteorologists oftentimes can use their tools to see cloud cover even at night. So these are radar, satellite-type tools. But on a clear night, meteorologist tools can actually be used to detect the presence of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of migrating birds. They show up like clouds. It's kind of funny that you're talking about that. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the last segment we just did actually on this show, which is our, thir- our third show. It was Birders Weather. That segment, maybe we should start calling that segment uh, Birdcast. It is a little bit of a bird cast. Which is interesting kind of throwback. Uh, it's sort of like a 70s thing. Uh, Tim, do you uh, do you kind of see what I'm saying there with that? Yeah, I can see that. Okay, that's 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 great, man. Um, <clears throat> so I, I do enjoy birds, but I will say that doesn't mean <laughs> I don't enjoy fine foods as well. So that is why I, m- I must say that this is our segment for which, uh, which bird is for dinner. segment we say that although we do not say you have to eat birds particularly chicken although i know everybody eats chicken out there 
but also other birds. We also wish that you do not eat these animals. Now, I went out to dinner with a very controversial dish. So this dish is foie gras. Foie gras? Foie, foie gras. Now, foie gras, I, and I did do my research on this, it's a fatty liver from a duck, force-fed. Could be you're having a little bit of a Buttersworth duck, like the one we were, ta we were talking about today, or I mean, sorry, I mean, bufflehead duck uh, liver. And with your foie gras. It's a force-fed duck, but is it bad? Martin, Martin Salinas has more on this here on Aviary Paragraph. Now I gotta tell you, Zan, my stomach is just churning at the thought of foie gras. Now this is a, a food that uh, in California, I understand, is actually outlawed because it's viewed as highly unethical. Well, I got a bone to pick with you on this one. California, it is outlawed, so um, they don't actually eat that there. Yeah, and I think maybe California is leading the way on this one. Uh, this just seems like... California Syndrome. California Syndrome. San, San Francisco bit? Syndrome. And you got a lot of tech tech uh, people moving in. Now, although gua fr uh, f uh, foie gras is the, f f uh, the result of a force-fed duck, I will also retaliate with the point that it is not necessarily a dish served by force-feeding. Using the article article, Can foie gras ever be ethical by Trevor Baker? I aim to account for the unreasonable disgust which foie gras has popularized in our birding community. He says, quote, unquote, If a Disney film about a farm came to life, it might look a bit like Sousa's. Standing in the middle of his flock of geese, holding out a bag of mace, ruddy a cheek, and with slick back, dark hair. He's ever bit the kindly farmer. Around him, there were fig and olive trees, and Spanish oaks heavily with acorns. Just down the hill is a whitewashed farmhouse, and stretching into the distance are the green hills of Spain's western hinterland. Like Trevor Baker was saying in that quote, I should point out that the article does discuss Sousa, who is generally seen as a good guy he makes the ethical foie gras that's Sousa foie gras we're friends at, uh, you know if you don't remember this our friends at radio lab actually covered this a little while ago the Sousa foie gras syndrome he gets those ducks to come in and of course they're gonna eat and if they're not domesticated he's gonna uh, get these ducks to eat themselves to death yeah you know Zan I'd have to look a little bit more into it myself <clears throat> uh, but I'm gonna have to say that my own viewpoints aren't quite shifted from that article Tim, uh, now, can you, uh, counter him on that? As far as foie gras goes, for me, you wouldn't really have to force me to feed on that, eat myself to death on, the uh, on <laughs> yeah, foie gras. Right, there would be a right. certain irony to that. <laughs> right. If yeah. you, uh, I guess that is kind of A funny. patron goes into a restaurant and well, eats I, so much <laughs> foie gras. I didn't actually think about that. That his liver explodes. This is why I love this show. I gotta tell you, this is why I love this show. I love making this show. So, <clears throat> lastly, I would like to discuss a little game known as Spotter Sound. Everyone knows this game, of course, but Tim, I'd love you to intro this segment, please. Uh, Spotter Sound, the... The, the, the game, game we're about to play. Yeah, that... It's we played a, last week. It's a great game, you know. I had a great time last time. Could you time. please explain the game to the listening audience? Yeah, so uh, we're gonna hear three different sounds... Sound number one is. Uh, I, I I don't remember. I see. Uh, a, a bird noise. Sound number two. Yeah, yeah. Is a a bird noise and then another noise. Okay. And sound number three. Uh, another noise and a then a bird noise. Oh. Okay, so uh, you know, in in, uh, in my defense, uh, on the on the uh, the the previous. You uh, were the show. loser on the show. I lost, okay. but right. at, in my defense, I was the phone-in caller and could not 
hear the sounds very well we, at all. We, that's true. I didn't think about that. We actually haven't experienced a lot of technical difficulties on the show. Tim, thanks for reminding me about that. It, um, all right, th- uh, thank I you. I accept both of your apologies. That's really, and that's nice of you. Okay, so Spotter Sound, here we go with sound number one on Spotter Sound. Now, what's the cue? Uh, this is just a bird sound, and we're playing this sound live on Spotted Sound. We got any guesses on that? Who? Uh, say beep beep if you know. Beep beep. Uh, oh, all right. Uh, Martin jumped on that one. Uh, what do you think we got here, Martin? Mm, so just based on the cadence of that call, I'm going to go with something in the Corvid family. I'm going to go with a Blue Jay. I don't even know how you got that. Um, that's unbelievable to me. You know, this is why I bring him on the show. You know, I was talking about how vigorous you were before. And I got to tell you, this guy's more vigorous than vinegar. All right, we got sound number two on Spotter Sound. And this sound is a bird sound, and uh, it's also another sound on Spotter Sound. Oh, okay, we got Tim on this one. And uh, your, uh, there was a... A uh, chickadee, a brewer's blackbird, and a dog. Wow, that was uh, that was really close. I gotta tell you, um, uh, do you have any guesses on this one, Martin? Yeah, you know, I could definitely hear that chickadee okay. giving its really distinctive call. Right. Uh, but other than that, I actually couldn't pick out the other noises. Um, you know, our judges do say that that is a, uh, a, a maybe a, a uh, that, that might be a dog. So we're gonna give that to you on the show. We're a little bit feeling a little lenient. Uh, you had explained about your previous uh, sort of fallacies that you faced on Spotter Sound, and and so we're going to give this one to you. We tied it up here on Spotter Sound, uh, so this is best two out of three, as all Spotter Sounds are. And of course, we end this with uh, what I'd like to call just a sound here on Spotter Sound. <laughs> Sounded like a little swine to me. <laughs> okay, Martin, did you have anything on that one? I, you know, I didn't. Okay, so um, with both of them saying it's a swine, that ties us up here on Spotter's Sound. We will have to take a tie on this show here on Aviary Paragraph on Spotter's Sound. That was Spotter's Sound. And so we move on with that to our next segment of the show. This is a new one here. It's uh, one where we got three stories on birding, <clears throat> with one of them being true. It's called Birder's Fib. You know, I know you had some stories prepared. We had talked about that before, but I, uh, I actually have some stories that I'm going to share. So, Tim, the way this segment of our show works is I will be sharing with you three stories. One of them is true. The other two are false. So... I'm going to go ahead and have you uh, listen to these stories, and then we'll see if you can tell me which are true and which are all. You think you can do it, Tim? Uh, give it a give it a whirl. All right, so for story one. This is, of course, our most famous segment, uh, <coughs> uh, Birder's Fib, with Martin Salinas speaking for us on these stories here. Story? Spotter, I'm sorry, Aviary Pigot. I got an eBird and knew immediately that I was going to chase this Code 5. Grabbing my binos, the 85mm capture gear and dud, I headed south on 101. Reports were that it was in basic loom, but it could just as easily be a juvie. Arriving, I saw there were other chasers, county claimers, big year birders, and others. No bird. It flown. We all dipped. No dance. Huh? What is he talking about? Okay, I've been asked this many times lately to explain what this jargon means. So, we'll do uh, one more time, okay? Birdwatcher. 
Hey Martha, while you're at the co-op, would you pick up another sack of bird seed for the chickadees? These are bird watchers. People who spend time watching birds come to feeders, or drive down to three crabs and park to watch seagulls or geese. Wonderful people, curious people, people who just like to watch birds. Birder, a birder, birds. This means that she has a pair of good binos, a tripod sporting a scope, and bird books scattered on the front seat of her vehicle at all times. More than likely, she also has a digital camera with a 70 to 400 millimeter lens attached, and in her pocket a smartphone with all the latest apps for bird calls, songs, and ID pictures. She reads tweeters first thing when she opens her computer every morning, checks the ABA, runs through birders' dashboard, birds in her local area, county, state, North America, and maybe even the world. She keeps lists of birds she's seen. And she can tell a fall juvie short-billed dowitcher from a long-billed dowitcher just by the seat of her pants. That was story number one. <laughs> Sounds like they're speaking, you know, they got the saying, it's all Greek to me. And, uh, you know, I gotta say, it sounds like they're speaking French on there. Some, some sort of foreign language. I mean, that, I got, that's gotta be false. All right, are you ready for story number 210? I'm ready. I usually go towards the edge of town to bird, but on Sunday I pedaled to the interior city limits to hit two scenic destinations, a water treatment plant and a cemetery. Jumping on the river greenway downtown, the first interesting bird I noticed were a few northern shovelers. I think this is the first time I've ever seen them in their bright orange legs. Arriving at the water treatment plant, the only other bird of note was a lone horned grebe bobbing way out on the terminal ponds. I wouldn't have bothered to post this shot except for the pretty good picture. With the waterfowl mostly a bust, I headed back through downtown to visit a sparsely birded but occasionally great Lindenwood Cemetery. It was my first visit of the year, and my mission was Bufflehead. I came up totally empty, unless you count mallards. Although I was able to acquaint myself with some of the more common birds around, including a pair of blue jays foraging for acorns near the water's edge next to some headstones. Now, the bufflehead reported from Thanksgiving Day was not seen, but here's where the story gets funny. I pedaled into the middle of the cemetery, which was almost completely deserted. I ignored the one single car there and ate a hasty peanut butter sandwich while listening for bufflehead calls. When I was done eating, I pulled out my phone to play a recording of a bufflehead, hoping to get really lucky. Within 10 seconds, the door to the car flew open and a gentleman stepped out, calling with some hesitation. Are you birding? My answer? Yes. His reply? Did you just play a tape? My reply? Yes. He continued, of a bufflehead. My response, now on guard. Yes. I was mostly playing the recording for my own education since I have never heard nor actually seen a B-U-F-F. But this guy was totally not expecting anyone else to be there birding, let alone birding on a bike. So he was about through the roof when he was thinking he had found the bird. Oops, disclaimer. I don't use playback very often, but I've been known to on occasion. In the end, he asked me to play it again in the off chance it would attract the bird. Plus one for cool other birders. And that was story number two, Jen. I'm gonna say that is false, because she said she'd never seen a bufflehead before. This is a case of agree to disagree with you, Tim, here. Uh, I uh, picture myself in the birders. Pete. Alright, we got story number three coming up. Are you ready, Zan? Oh, hell yeah. Are you ready, Tim? Oh, I'm ready. 11.59 p.m. Standing there waiting, Tika had the watch. Now! Midnight! We stood there listening. Where was there? 
On the bluff, overlooking Cape Alava's beach at Ozette, there was no moon. The sky was clear. A breeze came in off the ocean. But it was black enough that I couldn't see Hank standing 20 feet away. There! Pointing. I knew he was pointing. He always pointed. 12.01 a.m. Short-billed dowagers talking skyward, flying north. Bird one was tallied. That was unexpected. The barred owl we'd expect called back from the woods. Another answered, time to move. With Tika as clock watcher and a schedule to keep, we started walking. I gotta tell you, uh, Martin, we gotta shorten these stories up for this segment. This is a very long story and these have all been very long stories. Quite frankly, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm the, I'm the first guy, I, I, I believe all stories need to be long, but these stories are just too dang long. If I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, you, know, you see what I mean, right? I'm just trying to do the segments, Zan. Well, this is just a little revision. Call me your editor here on, the, on, Aviary, Par on Aviary Paragon. That was Birdage Fib. Uh, we, um, we, we gotta tell you, we don't always get it right here at Aviary Paragraph. I think that might have been a case where we, where we actually got it wrong. Uh, we don't always get it uh, correct over here. So, uh, that would be the last time Birdage Fib is on the show. And for any fans of Birders Fib, I'm afraid that's going to be that. This one here is called Back to Bufflehead. Uh, we're going back to Bufflehead to talk more about our bird of the week. Just as a little intro to this segment, uh, we're going to just kind of chat Bufflehead for a bit. We will uh, be talking all Bufflehead, only Bufflehead, 24-7 for at least the next five minutes or so. So <clears throat> here we are with our Bufflehead talk. So I, 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 I heard this. This is a very interesting one I got online. It's that the Bufflehead's call. It's the on, it's regards uh, the onomatopoeia of the Bufflehead call. It's a wee wee a wee wee that's a wee 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 Call actually was a Maori saying. That's very interesting. Actually. Like New Zealand. As in New Zealand, the Maori people, yeah. They well, came up with That's very interesting the... to me, Zan. Why, why is that? Well, the uh, buffalo is a North American species of waterfowl, not one found in New Zealand. Was that getting it wrong uh, 2.0? So the bufflehead, uh, in your experience, uh, I know that you uh, know a little bit more about that bird. Yeah, I've spotted uh, many buffleheads. And um, what do you think when you spot them? You know, I just love the way they dive under the water and then pop back up. And I love the way the males can just lift their crests when they're doing a mating display to really show you why they have that name, bufflehead. 
Any ideas on conservation or environment or anything like that? You know, as far as conservation and environment... I know these little guys like grubs. Eating grub? Yeah, these little guys like to eat a lot. I'd say the biggest threat they have is that they are a bay duck. They like to come in really close to the shoreline to feed. That also happens to be where hunters are. Now, this is a species that is uh, permitted to hunt. And I think that yeah. they're a little more susceptible than many of the other waterfowl species wow. that might use okay. more open water habitats. Gotcha. Now, I was actually at the deli earlier today, and I was talking to somebody in line, and they were telling me... I was telling a little bit about the show, and they had uh, mentioned to me that actually they uh, talk about the flicker, the association of a flicker to the buffalo head, and there's like a lot of different types of flickers. Yeah, I think you're talking about the red shafted flicker and the yellow right, shafted right. flicker. <laughs> now, for, the show. for some of our listeners out there, the flicker is actually a small woodpecker. You might see it in your yard. Diet consists primarily of ants, and the flicker, the red shafted and the yellow shafted flicker, actually have the shaft or the raucous of their feathers is the color in their name. But wait, 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 Martin. What's that got to do with the bufflehead? Funny you should ask, Zan. The bufflehead, one of the smallest species of North American waterfowl, is actually so small because part of its evolution is that it uses the flicker's cavities Very in trees to nest. It's the only waterfowl species that can fit okay. inside of a flicker nest cavity. Gotcha. Martin, have you ever had the privilege of witnessing a uh, bufflehead feeding frenzy? I have, and what a sight. Now, wait, wait a minute here. Did you say feeding friendly? No, feeding frenzy. Oh, fr frenzy. Okay. Now, what's that all about? This is, uh, I witnessed in Capitol Lake in Olympia walking along, and <laughs> I notice, uh, you know, something in the water. Okay. I take a look. And there's dozens and dozens and dozens of bufflehead just okay. diving down, coming back up, and eating wow. who knows right. what. But there is about, you know, yeah. 50 buffleheads all in one place and creating just a bubbling yeah. stew of, you know, butterball. Now, see, this is really one of those, another one of those eating the snake's tail moments. Martin, actually, we was talking about fishing or something like that. This one, we got another uh, eating the sn uh, snake eats its tail. It's interesting that we were just talking about the uh, misplacement of the Maori name Wiu That's a Maori name. Now, in the Olympic Capital Lake over here in Olympia, there is a New Zealand uh, snail in the water there. And this New Zealand snail actually is going to be getting on all those buffleheads and can be transported to other ponds and uh, tributaries throughout the U.S., thus spreading New Zealand snails, fortunately for us, actually throughout the uh, great state of uh, uh, Pacific Northwest. And I think what we can all hope, uh, and certainly as likely, is that those New Zealand snails that might find them their way tucked up into the feathers of the bufflehead could actually die off. Say the bufflehead is using that capital lake infested with that invasive invasive snail, moves over to the salt water. That snail cannot survive the salt water. So as soon as it touches that salt water and that snail absorbs that salt, it would kill the snail off. So provided that the bufflehead at gotcha. some point stops on salt water on before stops on it means they turn very quickly. Yeah. Keep, oh. So, um, uh, now, do you have anything to say about these snails? Do you ever, when you're disturbing uh, wildlife communities out there and your environmental practices, uh, Tim, I know you start fires around. Do you uh, ever burn these snails or anything like that? We don't burn the snails, uh, mainly because they're uh, aquatic species and, you know, by nature, water extinguishes fire. So, essentially, that would be sort of the, the method to your uh, madness. That's the method side. I know you enjoy the madness side. So you don't actually particularly enjoy not burning these snails, you'd say. 
you know, the, the burning really has nothing to do with the snails, to be honest. But, you know, when doing any sort of aquatic work in and out of the river, it's, it's important to remember to wash your boat, wash your boots, wash any waders or fishing gear you use in a New Zealand snail-infested water body because, you know, you move on to another area, you could very easily transport those snails, so. You don't want to be the bufflehead that spread that snail. I don't, you don't want to be the bufflehead, and let me tell you, the, you know, the fish and wildlife, they're, you know. I'm pointing my finger at you because I have one other thing to say, Zan, and right. that is bufflehead. Wow, see, now if you could only sort of see uh, inside our studio right now, kind of the expression on Martin's face when he says that, you can tell the sort of consternation that he has over a subject like the bufflehead. It's incredible when you see the focus on this guy's face. I mean, if you're talking about a focus birder, uh, this guy, he's got he's got more vigor than vinegar. I love this guy. That's why I love doing this show with him. Uh, and let me tell you, Tim, i got to re-engage you here. We uh, also love having you on the show. And with oh, it's that... A it's a pleasure to be here, Zan. Well, it's a pleasure to have you there, buddy. Um, it's a beautiful studio. Thank you so much for that. We um, do actually bring up as our next point with that. Um, that's one of the many uh, different communication strategies I'm using. I'm in a book I've been reading a little bit about. Basically, I've been reading this nonviolent communication book. It's the second edition written by Marshall B. Rosenberg, Ph.D. I think we all know that guy. He's uh, he's a bit of an egghead over there. I mean, that's great stuff. That's a hot, that's those are, really well, we all stuff. know that those are hot button issues. Uh, so for our last segment, this is a, a very serious segment. I gotta tell you, this segment really, um, honestly, you, you gotta take this one seriously. It comes to us from wildbirds.com. We got the ultimate techno birder and his gadgets, Peter W. Thayer. Huge, uh, bona fide birder. Uh, we're reviewing a uh, little bit of a uh, ex officio. You're talking about? Is that, does that sound right to you, uh, Martin? Ex officio. It's some gear I've used before. You have used ex officio. What type of gear by ex officio have you used? Uh, pants. Well, we aren't talking about pants today. I gotta say, we're talking about vests. Here we have uh, from bazillions.com the reviews of ex officio's buzz off insect shield vest that's the ultralight nylon uh, let's see here we have adventure girl she writes used for african safari in tanzania very comfortable and protective she loved it up the river from ohio uh he said he needed a lightweight vest he loved that about it it was so light dr die um he just walks a dog with it <laughs> so i mean this tells you all about the vest here you um you don't have to wear it just to bird. You can walk the dog. You can uh, you can buzz your uncle. Whatever you want to do. At, at Get the home. groceries. Get the groceries. It really works. The uh, Anna Glover in the studio right now. She's our, our famous producer. Uh, Anna, what do you think about Tim as a guest? I gotta ask. I think it's a pretty alright choice. Yeah. So with your overview of the first three episodes, do you think uh, your producing career could? Uh, hit a height as high as it has. Yeah, I mean, as long as I got money going on it, it's fine. You feel like you could soar like a hawk? Well, it's interesting that Martin says that this is when his vigor gets out of line. And I gotta tell you, he has gotten out of line. Now, Martin, uh, I think that's an interesting point you say. Uh, now, now, do you ever feel like kind of like a bird sometimes when you're in a studio? Producer, do you kind of do that at all? Like method producing? Method producing? I'd say so. If you asked me how I would describe myself as a guest i would say grace uh mm -hmm. i just gotta chime in here we, we got a couple of birders in the studio we, do. we got a couple uh people who love to talk about all things birds but behind it all we we got a great producer i mean we couldn't be luckier with we our producer we could not be luckier i love that here give me a high five anna glover anna glover also high five all right 
There you go. Anna, I know she actually birds seven to eight times a week. Did you catch anything today on your latest walk? Yeah, I did. I saw... Um, Highbill grebe or... Yeah, I think I saw a warbler. A warbler. Yeah. Um, Those are considerably rare to my understanding. This, this time, time of year. year. Oh, most yeah. definitely. Also... Uh, That's uh, a very <laughs> rare spot, actually. <laughs> It might have been a tennis ball. I don't know. Okay, all right, I got you. I got you. Here we go. Here we go. Again. This is why we have fun on this show, and we love to bring it to you viewers out there. So, uh, you know, uh, the park hopper without a purse from Clemont, Florida, he says it's exactly what he needed. He likes He went to Disney World with it. This is just the type of stuff I'm saying. Um, now, Martin, you're an ultralight backpacker. You love, uh, he's kind of got an interesting style when it comes to the ultralight scene. Um, actually out uh, on the west coast of the Olympic Peninsula here in Washington uh, trying to find some of those pelagic birds that that time of year with uh, good wind coming in from the coast tend to move in closer to the shoreline where you can see them with your binocs. Okay. Well, thanks um, from us over here at Aviary Paragraph. Get out there and go bird. Thank you for having me on. I gotta Thank tell you. you, dude, it's been a pleasure. I'm sorry about my outburst earlier. Again, I, I don't apologize. And this is your number two producer, and lover. Uh, and uh, we'll sign off to you now on Aviary Paragraph. I used to feel oh so bad 